football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. How about that? That is, uh, that's us. We're here at uh, Mac and Bob's in Salem, Virginia for the uh, 2017 regular season, season wrap-up version of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. The Around the Nation podcast is uh, two guys in now a pizza place uh, talking about the news in NCAA Division Three football. That's the division that Mount Union has won 13 times, including on Friday night with a 12-0 win versus Mary Harden Baylor. I heard applause, yeah. Purple Raiders in the house. I'm Pat Holm, the guy in charge of D3Football.com. My co-host, Keith McMillan, has uh, now broadcast 19 Stag Bowls with me. This is where Keith introduces himself in a amusing manner that I haven't chosen this week. Yeah, I'm sorry I don't have anything funny to say off the top of my head, but uh, 19 Stag Bowls. They haven't gotten old yet. We've, getting old. We've gotten old. I was going to say, uh, I don't know if you've looked in the mirror. Uh, I've looked in the mirror, and I've determined that I've gotten a little older. But uh, this has been a uh, this was a, a season. We should we gonna wrap up the whole season. We're gonna wrap up the game. We're also gonna give out uh, game balls. Uh, Keith, I thought we would do a hidden highlight. Maybe we'd do stat of the week. Do you want to do stat of the week? From it would be nice to have the stat pack if we're doing stat of the week. But. Stat of the week stats would be helpful for stat of the week. We'll get to that. Um, we'll do uh, like I said. We'll do game balls, and then uh, I think we could do every thought. Can we do every thought? Sure. All right. So. I, and I think that's great for a, for a season ender. Yeah, I think so too. We also have. Guests here, including uh, luminaries in the uh, NCAA Division Three football circuit. Uh, Larry Karras was here earlier. He just uh, finished his meal and uh, headed out to celebrate the championship with the rest of the Purple Raiders. A, a, a dominant, a dominant uh, defensive performance uh, against a, a, a team that came in being the team that was going to expected to have the dominant defensive performance. Yeah, and I think it was a special moment for uh, for all the defensive players, but also for, for Vince Karras. A uh, you know a guy who was a defensive player himself and and made his bones as defensive coordinator and had to uh, take that back over this season. Um, you know, winning ugly, for lack of a better way to put it, is is not something that Mountain Union has had to do all that often over time. But also this season, you know, remember they they came in the Friday night's game, scoring 53 points a game. The offense was great. The offense was tremendous in the comeback in the second half last week at Oshkosh. Certainly, the defense had a big part in it, too, picking up a couple of turnovers. But um, having to do it in a way that I don't know if, if Mountain Union's ever won a Stag Bowl like this before. Certainly haven't had to, to pitch a shutout, but, but having to win without having the offense play super well and, uh, and having to grind one out. I think it's got, it's got to be really gratifying for the, for the defense, but also just for the, for the program as a whole. This whole season was, was a grind in a way that a lot of Mountain Union seasons are not. We talked about it on the end of the uh, on the end of the game, and of course we talked about it in the the Thursday podcast. The fact that Mount Union has really been looking forward to this game and this opponent for 53 weeks, ever since their season ended 14-12 in the national semifinals at Mary Harden Baylor back in 2016. They really took some particular inspiration from uh, not only being in a position to be in this game with that team this year, but just over the course of the season, it sounded like they watched that videotape. Uh, videotape. That's kind of antiquated. Yeah, they watched that old. game over and over and over. Yeah, Cole Parrish told the story, the, the All-American Center. He told the story this week. He, he said he'd watched the video um, 10 times at least, you know, maybe more than that. And in a way, you almost think that's crazy. That's, that's masochistic. Why would you go watch the game uh, that, that hurt you the most uh, so much? But I, I think part of it is it helped identify some weaknesses that, that Mountain Union needed to clean up. Vince Karras talked about in the postgame. He said that, that was they went back to that game 
um, and and drew on it a little bit. Now, obviously, you look at Mount you, at Mary Harden Baylor's this season tapes to draw, to do most of your game plan, but watch that a little bit to um, to come up with with the the game plan today that helped them pitch a shutout. And I, I think as much as Mount Union wanted to get back to stale, get back to Salem, get back to being a Stag Bowl champion, which is custom, to be quite honest. Yep. Um, Get enabled, being able to get back here and do it and beat Mary Harden Baylor, the team that knocked them out last season, uh, certainly was pretty gratifying. In addition, doing it uh, as the final wrap-up of the final game here in Salem. They won the first Stag Bowl in Salem in 1993, the first time that DeMount Union had ever advanced that far. They won the championship, and they, uh, of course, won the championship here at the end. They played in 20 of the 25. They won 13 of the 25. They won more Stag Bowl championships in Salem than they didn't win. And the things that stand out when you look back at how long it's been, first of all, nobody that played in, in tonight's game was, was alive. alive. <laughs> the first time Mountain Union won a championship in Salem, that's eye-opening. When you look back at those 93 highlights, Mountain Union beating Rowan, you look at the neck rolls, you look at the giant shoulder pads, yeah. the, the jerseys look like what we would call practice jerseys now. Um, the game, I mean, I, I, football was still football, you know, Ballard and Borchardt, those guys would be successful in this day and age if, if offense was different. So I don't think there was a, a huge difference in the, 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 the style of play or the type of players, but I do think Mountain Union has expanded its recruiting base and now it's not, they're not just getting Northeast Ohio kids and, and a couple kids from Pittsburgh area. You have guys from Florida, North Carolina, Michigan, Indianapolis on, on the roster. Your key players are from everywhere, and Mount Union's really taken that chance to be on ESPN, the chance to make a national name for itself in Salem over the past 25 years, turned itself into a program that can recruit nationwide, and that's helped keep uh, the, the, the thing rolling. Let me uh, throw out another couple of things that have uh, also that have changed in Division Three over the course of those 25 years. You, you, you talk about uh, the fact that the... Uh, recruiting base has expanded. The season has expanded also. This was a four-round playoff back in 93 when this started. Now it's a five-round playoff. And it seems like over the course of that expansion back in uh, 1999 to present that the teams that continue, the teams that advance deep into the playoffs continue to advance deep in the playoffs. We've talked about this a lot where whether it's um, getting that exposure at the end of the season, uh, first in the national championship game, now over the last uh, six years, also in the national semifinals. Um, also, all those extra weeks of practice is something that coaches really talk about. It's, it, that's huge. You got your 58 best guys on your roster are going to practice a half a season longer than your opponents. You, got, you play 10 games in D3. The two teams on the field tonight played in their 15th game this season. So the, the best guys on the roster have played 1.5 seasons this season. And there have been times when Mountain Union and other coaches here in the Stag Bowl, they feel like these extra five weeks set them back a little bit recruiting-wise, which is a little, little window into the mindset of a coach, constantly thinking, what can we do to get better? We're falling behind recruiting-wise. But I think those extra five weeks of practice are huge. The, the big-time game experience is huge. Traveling, going on the road. When we've seen teams do that multiple years, you know, Mountain Union last season, a lot of the, lot of the key players are freshmen, sophomores. The, the, the players that won the game tonight had to go on the road for four playoff games last season. Yep. Had to deal with 
disappointment and defeat for the first time. And go, you go back to campus where they expect you to win a championship and you didn't even get to the Stag Bowl. They, they had to internalize all of that and, and put it into the work that helped them get here tonight. I'm going to take a second and introduce kind of the rest of our cast of characters here tonight. Uh, we have Adam Turr, who's our uh, current Around the Nation columnist. He's got a headset on. I know he is also currently posting a story to the D3Football.com website. So present. Present. Thank you. Good. Uh, Frank Rossi, who's, uh, who's here. He's present. And thought out. Is that true? Thought out? Uh, never, never fully thought out, but definitely I'm here. Did you say thought out or thought out? Never thought out. Uh, both, probably. <laughs> um, Jared Ronsky has run the board tonight. Thank you so much. That is like the most important thing that uh, I do not have to handle. Uh, Natalie is bringing pizzas, uh, and that is also important. Uh, we have uh, <laughs> Ryan Tips and Greg Thomas here. We have um, we have Wayne Burrow, who, uh, and along with uh, Carrie Hartley, kind of brought the stag bowl to Salem. And I, I would love to have uh, you guys on in a, in a few minutes to talk about that. I, I think, yeah. Yeah, we're talking about you, Carrie. Am I supposed yes, to Carrie. listen to what you're doing? Nah, you don't have to listen. Just if we hand you a microphone, maybe listen when we ask you some questions. Yeah, I will. Okay, that sounds good. So those are things that will happen. Um, if there are guests here who have questions, we will take those as well. Typically, we take a Twitter question on this show, and we would uh, instead take walk-ups. Uh, that would be just fine. Um, I, I want to talk about one of the other strange things that, uh, you know, um, Frank, you reported on this early in the game, and then it's uh, it, the his the absence of T.J. Josie, the one of the star wide receivers for Mary Harden Baylor, continued to be notable, and they continued to struggle. You know, I, I'm beginning to wonder when we saw at the beginning of the second half, he came out and immediately went to the cycle on the sideline. He didn't really appear in that first drive coming out of halftime. One of two things hit my uh, head on this one: either. He was a decoy in this game mostly, and he had been injured before this game. Or perhaps when he ran the ball uh, on the Wildcat play, he got injured there. One of those two things, you know, seemed to have happened because where was he for the rest of the game? They put him back in, but he was never really thrown to at that point. Adam? Uh, yeah, I actually asked Coach Fredenberg that question in, in the postgame press conference, and what he said was in that Wildcat carry on that first possession, um, it wasn't because of any contact or, or anything obvious, uh, but he said it was something like a rib injury, and that's what kept Josie out of the game, and he really didn't even return to the game after that. They missed him. I mean, you know, obviously uh, Wilkerson was a guy who could stretch the field but didn't have the size. We talked about G.J. Josie. We really loved Josie over the course of the playoffs last season down the stretch in the regular season and yeah it would have certainly been helpful for him to be a factor but in all honesty also Robinson didn't have the time to throw deep there he just hadn't uh, didn't, it, I'm not sure how much that would have helped well it, it certainly would have in your biggest game you would like to get your playmakers the ball more often Josie had one carry Bryce Wilkerson had one carry Bryce, Bryce Wilkerson had one catch today and Josie didn't have any receptions we asked uh Lewis Berry, the Mountain Union cornerback, about trying to cover those guys. And part of the goal was to take them away and, and make the other Mary Harden Baylor players have to beat them. But he, Berry also acknowledged that, uh, that Josie was injured and that played, played a role in uh, how well the Mountain Union defense performed today. But, Pat, you're right. Weren't many times. There were a couple times where, where Carl Robinson III had time to throw, but there weren't many. Mountain Union's defense comes up with eight sacks in the Stag Bowl. Couldn't ask for a, a better defensive performance. A shutout, eight sacks, safety, 
and, uh, and, and another national championship. Six sacks by St. Thomas in the quarterfinals, four by Brockport last week, eight tonight. Frank? You know, after uh, hearing this about what happened to the Wildcat play, it just seems to me I saw Robinson on the sideline quite a bit, kind of with a caught-in-the-moment look on his face. He just didn't seem like himself compared to uh, the last week when I saw him down in Belton. And I was wondering what was going on. It's almost like the team basically said to him, go out, win this game with your usual style. And as the game went along, he lost pieces that were needed for his usual style, including Josie. And once that happened, he just didn't know where to go with it, ultimately. And, yes, he was uh, taken out, and uh, Jones came in eventually for him, and then they uh, put him back in. But it, it was too little too late uh, at that point, it seemed like. I thank uh, people who are here this evening here at uh, Mac and Bob's joining us on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Ooh, hey, all right. People <laughs> still clap. That's awesome. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's not even mock applause, I think. But mostly they were our people. But nonetheless, <laughs> uh, it's appreciative of that. And we're appreciative for uh, Mac and Bob's hosting us here for a second consecutive year. I should say hosting a live podcast for the second consecutive year. That We've been here many, many times, and we've even recorded our podcast here just kind of sitting over in a booth with uh, – a bunch of pizza. The pizza is all sitting in front of people who aren't eating pizza. Yeah, I think we had to rotate out. The person who had a headset couldn't eat some pizza, and then someone, somebody would eat and then rotate in in the old days. So uh, now we've got an actual setup here. And, Ryan, you should also order some food for yourself, too. I did. Hey, okay, good. Hey, Pat, we should thank Keith and Tyler, who are the managers who have helped okay. uh, put this together over the last couple of days. Thank you guys very much. All right. And uh, it's, uh, unfortunately, we won't be able to continue to do this. That's so sad. Uh, Hawaiian is what I'm looking for, by the way. <laughs> We're talking about pizza because it's a podcast. And podcasts talk about food and music, and in this case, sports uh, and politics. And we don't talk about politics here. Please, no. No. But, uh, you know, so thank you, for, uh, thank you for that. We've had uh, a lot of fun doing this last year. We're having a lot of fun doing it now. Keith. I didn't have the music uh, to underlay that uh, sponsorship stuff, so we'll have to add that in post. But why don't we talk about game balls? I was going to say that's a terrible job by you not having the music ready. What, I, I what did, have you done all I day? Had the opening, I had the opening music ready. Remember, we did not have that last year, so we have, uh, we have done, uh, we're done work, working the cradle. Thank you, Greg. I heard that in the background. Nice. Um, that cradle did not work today. But you have to explain that because otherwise it sounds a little weird. What, you want to explain Work the Cradle? All right, Work the Cradle was a, was a quote about uh, Bryce Wilkerson fielding from, punts. From, that, that, from Bryce Wilkerson. Right. Uh, that was his phrase and how he fields his punts. He works the cradle. Well, um, he really worked it at one kickoff, I think it was, where he basically was running uh, full speed and basket, basket catches it, and they caught him right away. We, and we mentioned that on the air. That was, yeah. And that was actually one of the great <laughs> special teams plays by the most outstanding player from uh, – from the Stag Bowl from Mountain Union. Nick Brish was basically on top of Wilkerson uh, on that, that punt coverage. And uh, that probably segues right into game ball because I know that's who I voted for, for, um, for Stag Bowl Most Outstanding Player. And then when Nick Brish got the award, uh, when they announced it at, the, at midfield, uh, his teammates broke out in a Brish, 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 Brish um, chant, which was kind of nice to see. And then uh, in the post game, he talked a little bit about uh, Vince Karras did about Brish not even moving into the starting lineup until week 11, and then he immediately produced 15 tackles, and then he was also the guy against Frostburg who was jamming the tight end off the line, and then he was making tackles today on special teams. He had the safety, finished with 10 tackles, one and a half sacks, 2.5 tackles for loss. That's my game ball, but I do think 
their other guys too. I, well, I, I'm, I, you know, I always caveat my game ball anyway. But well, wait a minute. You you usually pick pick your game ball second. So don't take all the guys before I get to. Well, talk all about my all I was gonna say is that it's been a team effort from the point when they were down 35-10 in the semifinals. He could have left them for dead at that point. Uh, it's been a team effort for Mountain Union, offense, defense, special teams. And if you put that half, one and a half games together, defense was outstanding today. The offense did enough to win in that second half. The offense was outstanding. The defense gave them a couple turnovers. The special teams were outstanding today. Um, and that was a weakness. They had given up some big kickoff returns in, in the playoffs. It, it was really a team effort for Mountain Union. So it's kind of, you know, nobody cares about a game ball when you have a national championship. But I'll, I'll give mine uh, to Nick Brish. I think I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna spotlight Trey Williams here too. You know, this is a guy who was not first string coming into the coming into the week. He got the start in place of Charlie Deer, who was uh, unable to suit up, unable to play on Friday night. Uh, he had a, a similarly uh, good production line as well. You know, there's uh, there were eight sacks. There were seven guys who contributed to them. Uh, Trey Williams had one of them at nine total tackles. I think, too, you know, you made one mention early in the game, I think, about how it seemed like maybe the Mount Union linebackers might be missing a beat a little bit, and then that stopped. That didn't continue. Well, I thought what, what Mary Harden-Baylor was trying to do was to get Danny Robinson and Trey Williams, the linebackers, to, to, to basically bite. They were given a lot of... Um, they, they, they were kind of trying to hold them, and then they were trying to get them to basically... They were trying to misdirect the, the linebackers. They did it once with a, with a bubble screen... They threw it to Miller, but they held. They just paused just enough to try to get the linebackers to bite up. Then they did the inverse of that, where they waited and showed run, and then threw the bubble screen, and then the linebackers had to get out there and tackle. But I don't think they were fooled very often, and, and that's to their credit, and, and was a big reason why uh, no points were put on the board today by Mary Harden Baylor. My hidden highlight is going to go to uh, something that is maybe not even necessarily a highlight, but I wanted to point out, we go back to something we talked about at the end of the first quarter. Mary Hardbaylor tried really hard to milk as much as they could out of that uh, potential scoring drive. It wasn't a scoring drive because they did not score, right? They took a timeout to try to remain in the third quarter, have another play with the wind at their back. Uh, ended up, uh, we talked about this uh, semi-facetiously maybe even at the end of the game the thought that they should have just kicked the field goal on third down with the wind at their back and taken the points which is something that seems so outlandish when you think about it but was that was their only real opportunity to score yeah they'd gotten to the 16 yard line on that drive and then went backwards uh, a couple plays and it, it would have been nice to get some points on the board early especially with hindsight realizing how how hard points were to come by uh for my hidden highlight, I'd like to loan my hidden highlight to Adam Turr because you brought this up in the post game. The guy who... I know, I know you're talking about. All right, so can I just dish this one off to yes, you? Yes, sir. Oh, T sure. Take it from here. I'll take it from here. Yes, yeah, so we're sitting there in the, in the press conference with Mount Union. They have three players there. Nick Brish, the player of the game. Lou Barry, senior cornerback. I believe he's the captain, had an interception. Um, and you had um, Justin Hill, who had a huge touchdown catch. And I say, you know, Coach, it looks like there's a there's a fourth guy that should be up here, and I think everyone's initial thought was, oh, quarterback D'Angelo Fulford. He's the quarterback. He had a few key plays, but it was the punter, Adam Snyder. Really, really flipped field position. Uh, had you know, he doesn't get a lot of opportunities the way this offense scores. They they don't punt a lot. You know, they average over 50 points a game. They punt very rarely during the regular season. Uh, but in the postseason, when they that matters, especially late in the postseason, when you know things like punting and field position 
are really critical, and especially in a game like this with two great defenses playing at the highest level. Uh, Snyder really, really delivered. Even punting into the wind, he, he succeeded. Uh, he kept the ball away from Bryce Wilkerson. He had one, you know, if this was basketball, he drew a crucial charge. You know, he had the, the running into the punter penalty, punting out of his own end zone. Wilkerson takes it back for a touchdown, but he had a heads-up play, and he fell down when a guy ran into him, and the ref has to throw the flag there. I, I think we all agree that was an acceptable call. He sold it very well. He angled his leg and body correctly. Uh, but in all facets of what a punter can do to affect a game, uh, Snyder did a great job, and he really was an unsung hero here. And I think just to add on to that, too, when Mountain Union went up 10-0, it was over because Mary Harden Baylor never got even halfway decent field position. They started their last couple of drives inside the 10-yard line. Inside the five. They started two of their last three drives were punts that pinned them at the four and at the two. And they needed to come back and drive 90-something yards. That, that just wasn't going to happen. And that led to a safety, too, don't forget. Yeah, one of them led to the safety. The one thing I wondered about openly on the broadcast is why when it became clear that Mountain Union wasn't going to kick to Wilkerson, and the only time they kicked to Wilkerson was the, the one where uh, they, they drew the uh, rough in the, the punter and took the points off the board. Every other time they were kicking away from Wilkerson, and that was the smart thing to do. Why Mary Harden-Baylor didn't put two returners back? If you're going to rush 10 and you have one guy back, that's fine. But they weren't, they weren't rushing. They, were, they had the return on the entire time. But... There's no point in having the return on if they're not kicking to your returner. So they either should have put two guys back to try to at least field the punt. Right. Um, because having 10 on, the, 10 on the line up front was not helpful. Right. And, and in a field position game, I understand why you would try to get a good punt return, but you're, if you're not even returning it. And these are the minor things that Mary Harden-Baylor and Mount Union have been so good at. Even in games, they, they blow teams out, but they never lose sight of these small things. I thought uh, that was a missed opportunity for Mary Harden-Baylor, especially when um, points were and field position was just hard to come by. Yeah, move on to our stat of the week. Uh, I'll pull out uh, stat of the week and, and talk about the Mary Harden-Baylor defense, who we talked about a lot coming into the game and still had a, a very uh, productive game keeping a... Keeping Mount Union to 12 points and 10 of them on offense is certainly a, 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 a feat in and of itself. But I wanted to, uh, what's the thing I wanted to spotlight was, uh, yeah, see, this is why doing it live is less of a, uh, is less of a thing here. Uh, 92 yards rushing for Mount Union uh, on 36 carries. That's unusual for them, obviously, over the course of this run. Um, you know, just 229 yards of, of total offense. Mary Harden Baylor's defense did almost everything you could ask of it uh, and intercepted a couple of passes. The only thing they didn't do is score, and it was something that they uh, could have used from them this uh, on my Friday night. Well, I'd like to go to the rushing yards as well. Mary Harden Baylor, 42 rush attempts, 38 total rushing yards, and eight sacks. Those yeah. come from the passing yards. So no, that's they, a, no, they come from the rushing Oh, thank you. I get, I, get, I, I get that twisted you, every time, and that's why I brought it up. <laughs> I was waiting for you to correct me. So that does uh, impact the rushing yards. But look. I can totally edit that out. No, you can't. Um, Markeith Miller, 20 carries, 35 yards. That's 1.8 yards per carry. I early on in the game when I thought he was doing fairly decently. He was, he was being a, a representative running back. But long run of seven. Carl Robinson, long run of 14. And uh, a few other guys touched the ball but didn't have any, any runs to speak of. So Mountain Union did a, a really great job tonight of identifying yeah. the plays 
and getting there and tackling. I can't think of too many times where we, we pointed out a guy that had a missed tackle. Coaches talk about explosive plays, especially over the course of the last several years. That's something that people really look at. Uh, the longest play that Mary Harden Baylor managed on offense on Friday night was 16 yards, a 16-yard completion to John L. Reed. And if I'm not mistaken, too, that was at garbage time down the stretch. Uh, the 14-yard rush by Robinson did get them a crucial first down back when the game was uh, still in doubt. Uh, on the TVs here, the uh, replay on ESPNU is about to kick off, so uh, maybe we'll get a, a chance to... Uh, we're not going to recall the game, though. Uh, we'll recall the game, but not recall the game. Um, and that, yeah, that was basically it. No big plays on that side, and only the one big play, really, on the other side, of course, the, uh, the Justin Hill touchdown, which is something we have not yet mentioned. Oh, it was a, a tremendous catch, because... Um, Fulford, I don't think, got everything under it that he wanted to get. It was a little bit underthrown, and two Mary Harden-Baylor defensive backs were able to, to break on it and get to the ball at the time, and they sort of uh, ran into each other, popped the ball up, and Justin Hill, a guy who's made huge plays all season and really hadn't had a lot of opportunity to get his hands on the ball. On Friday night, he only finished with three catches, but his 42-yard touchdown catch was the biggest uh, offensive play of the game. One, one thing I want to add there is... That Hill, sorry, but I was just going to say that Hill's touchdown came when Ruth had just gotten hurt, which was a huge thing because they lost Ruth for the rest of the game, and that Hill touchdown came exactly at the right time. Let me direct traffic. Sorry, Speaking of interceptions, uh, excellent point because I was going to talk about that one player, one player we haven't mentioned. I get excited to talk about interceptions. Uh, yes. Uh, one player we haven't mentioned who we'd be talking about a lot more if Mary Harden Bell could score any points was Jefferson Fritz. True freshman from Mary Harden Baylor had two interceptions, uh, and it looked like on that throw to Hill, he was going to get his third. I mean, he was right there in position once again, did a great job playing free safety as a freshman, ro rotates over, the ball goes right through his hands, uh, and, and I thought for sure he would have another goal line interception. His first pick came at the goal line, and, you know, that play, it looked like there were two defenders going for it, and somehow Hill had the concentration to kind of tap it to himself, uh, and... That, that play decided the game in the end. Thanks, Adam. That is true. Uh, we're going to welcome in now. I know, right? It's like, you didn't listen to a word I said, Pat. <laughs> I, I but I love you. I listened to a lot of the things. I was also trying to set up uh, the next segment in the background. That's why I didn't jump in right there. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. I was directing traffic. Uh, we're joined now by Wayne Burrow. Wayne Burrow was the uh, NCAA liaison for the Division Three football championship. First of all, for how many years? A lot? Fifteen. It seems like that's not a thing that happens anymore. Yeah, it's uh, 15 years was a long, long time here. It was a, uh, an era in which, of course, the stack came to Salem and grew in Salem, and a lot of things changed here in Salem, too. I, I, I wanted to ask you first off about uh, you know, some of these stories we've heard before, and maybe not everybody has, but the thought of bringing the NCAA Division III football championship game here, where it had been in Alabama and Florida and other you know, less Division III-type areas previously. Well, that was one thing that we, uh, the committee, when we met with the people from Salem, is they told us that they could make the game a real true, a true bowl game. And that was one of the things that the committee wanted to say, hey, let's look at the experience that the student athletes would get, one, and then run it in a professional fashion. So when they came down to Florida to the committee meeting, they, um, they wowed us. And we had to vote on one thing, were we going to stay in warm weather versus doing it the right way, and we voted on doing it the right way. Were there other uh, areas of the country in, interested in the championship? To be truthful, at, in 1992, there were not. And the big thing was, is it kind of, uh, Braden and nice people, but it was, uh, it was just wasn't run right. And uh, so they were looking for someone. And if you remember, um, 
Dan Wooldrich and the group here had really done their homework. They'd been to Phoenix City and to Braden and kind of had their eyes on it all the way. And so when they came down, they had a, they had a, uh, a proposal that knocked our socks off. One of the things that I remember most about your tenure as liaison is how things changed here at this championship. Um, let's see, uh, upgrading lights, uh, bringing in field turf, uh, you know, adding to the signage around the stadium, all the things I think that happened while you were around. How much of that was driven by the NCA? How much of it driven by Salem? Well, I think it was, a, it was kind of a mutual effort, to be honest. But what we kind of made our goal was was to grow it. And we knew we couldn't do it all at once. Uh, but the biggest thing, I think the biggest factor was we had the support of the, um, the city and the city fathers uh, embraced the event. And so if we needed something from the NCA standpoint, we got it. And uh, like I said, we got the lights. It was really funny. We had a good story there. It was mid-October, about six, seven weeks from the start of the championship. And I find out from ESPN we're going to play at 4 o'clock. And I said, Carrie, the good news is we moved up to 4 I said, the bad news is we're going to need new lights. And on, that was Friday afternoon, and on Monday, the city council had approved it. So $100,000 in three days. You can't do that now in, in city, uh, city uh, government, but we, we got it. The, um, I, I know you're not involved, in, you're not with the NCA anymore. No, not anymore. So I think I can ask you this and get a, uh, uh, a, uh, a non-political answer, I guess, or yep. one that's not going to affect anybody's no. career. What do you think about the decision to move? Well, for me, it's, uh, I kind of told it's kind of like a baby. You know, it's, uh, we grew it, and it's like a child, and, and I'm very sad and, you know, a little upset because I don't think the, um, let's put it this way, there are going to be numerous challenges wherever they go. And the, the big thing is is that it took 10 years to get it the right way. Yeah. And so these new, new hosts are going to they're gonna face a challenge because they get it two years and they're gone. And, you know, you can, let's say they have a bad year the first year and they know it's going to leave in the second year. Shoot, you know, they, they lay sorry the second year, and then they move again. So the big thing is is that what we were able to do was to build and build and build and knew it was going to be a, um, a long-term effect. What did you think was the – or what do you think was the, the best thing Salem brought to the table over time? Um, weather, the folks uh, here, um, being in, the, in driving distance of some other schools in, in uh, Division three. what was the, the thing that stood out the most? Well, I think – from a NCA standpoint, they loved the idea that it was within driving distance. So we thought we'd get one drive every year. And we, we, we had a good feel. You know, you did all these charts and everything. But for us, you know, personally and for the committee, it was the relationships. We knew right away when, when the committee came down and met with the, or with the, the, I guess the proposal group came down and met with the committee that we were, we were what they wanted. We, you know, they wanted us. And we wanted a site. So immediately we figured that, hey, these people are going to embrace the game. The community embraced the game quickly. And so that made the difference. And one thing they also said, we're going to make the student-athletes experience the best it's ever been. And they started so many things. And in, in all honesty, everyone, every player, coach that you talk to, says that, that the Stag Bowl feels big time. The Gallardi Trophy ceremony, which has come a long way in the time that it was here, feels big time. They feel, and this is not something as a Division three athlete you always get, and that's part of the appeal of D3, but it's nice when you get to the championship to feel valued, to, to feel appreciated. Well, I, I was very fortunate. You know, I, I worked at three Division one institutions, and I went to – I worked at University of Texas, went to two ball games with them, and I could tell you, 
this is better than the Blue Bonnet Bowl. <laughs> this is better than the uh, uh, whatever out in California that we went to. It got beat by Chuck Long by 50 points. But so, you know, they, those games are good, but this was great. And I, you know, and, that, and I know I'm biased, but the idea being is they treat everybody well. I got to ask the question, though, because this is one thing that after months of hearing this announcement, I still have an answer to. I know you're not responsible for it, but maybe you can give us perspective back you know, in the 1993 time frame, what was the objective for this game ultimately in terms of locationing it? And what do you think the objective has become now? Is it money? Is it something else? What changed to make this decision a plausible one? Well, I think, you know, over the course of my tenure, and I haven't been there for 10 years, so I can tell you that, but money, money's a factor. I mean, there's no doubt that money's a factor. And so the ability for t people can come in and, and buy bids, we don't know. I mean, it probably did. But back then, it was trying to find a place that would embrace the game. And I think it was a whole different uh, dynamic then. And the idea being is we found a place. But you know what's the neat play thing about here is that this started a trend you know, we were the first. 85 others have been here. So we know that we found the right formula. And the formula is based on a lot of the people that are around here. You know, we had the with City Fathers. We had the uh, fans. And, you know, and I think the idea that we got was let's start from the my, – my philosophy of advantage was let's make everything on the field perfect and then build from there. And so by doing that, we said let's involve the fans, let's involve the schools, let's go out and do the civic stuff. And then, the, then it became, hey, what can we do next? And that was the exciting part. It was always, let's get something better next year. Yeah. When you say 80, uh, 80 others have been here, you mean other sports? Yeah, well, 80 championships, championships yeah. Right. I mean, so, so you think of that, that a city, one of the things we used in our committee and when went back to the office when we were there, we said we want to make Salem the Division Three Omaha. You know, the idea being that, hey, you say the College World Series, you know, you say Omaha. And I've always said, and I told Kerry before, when I got back here tonight, I said, the road to the Stag Bowl will always go through Salem, no matter where it is, because we set the, tr we set the, the, the bar really high. Oh, we always called it the, the road to Salem. Yep. Uh, quick answer, what's the biggest difference between 1993 and, and 2017 when you watch a Stag Bowl? A lot more fluff. I know that. You know, a lot, a lot more stuff. You know, we were worried about making sure the teams got on the field. And they got, you know, we had fireworks, but we didn't have the big screens and everything and all the in-game, in, in you know, announcers on the field. I mean, you know, we were just worried about making sure everybody got in the game. I mean, so it's, a, it's grown, but, you know, that's what it is. It's, it, you know, it's become more of an entertainment event rather than just staging a football game, which is great. I mean, it's exciting. But, you know, what hasn't changed? The devotion of these people. And they, they made it so whatever happens, they got a big, they got a big hurdle down in Texas. Indeed, yeah, it's going to be a big learning curve. Wayne, I really appreciate, first of all, everything that you've done for Division Three football, things that you did back in the 90s and the early part of, oh, gosh, this century. Yeah. To help us out, that's really appreciative. <laughs> well, Thanks for the, joining the, us, too. Well, the one thing I want to say to you all is that, you know, you brought Division Three to a different level, too. You know, we... The ability to have someone promote the game on a weekly basis to keep it upgraded. And even I dealt with you all those days where you'd call me and say, what's the rankings, what, what, what's, who's the seed, whatever. And then I knew. I'd just but say. You, oh, wait. Are you telling me that there are seeds in the NCAA playoffs? <laughs> we made them seeds. You know, we, we, uh, you know we did. I know you did. And, you and, gave, 
I, know, you, I think you know this, but after you left, they tried to insist that there were no seats for the playoffs and that no. there never had been. Yeah, well, we knew, you know, the idea being is my goal, and I guess the committee's goal when I had, and I don't know what the, it's been since, but our goal was to get the top four teams here. And that was why when we moved Mount Union to the east, we did all sorts of things. I said, hey, you know, why do you want to play it off and have the championship game in the second round? That's not right. It's not right to the kids. It's not right to the fans. So I think we made some changes, and, you know, hopefully they were for the good. Thanks. I really appreciate it, Wayne. Thanks Thank so you much. so much. Yep. Um, I'm going to invite Carrie up here. Is that right? Look, this is going to be worth it for the accent alone. Pat, one thing I'll say as uh, Kerry comes up here is uh, folks should ch check out Twitter. Uh, I sent a picture of a little piece of hardware on his finger that he was given tonight at a halftime. Oh. Beautiful ring. Wow, that's nice. 25 years you get a ring. I don't. I got a, I got a tro mini trophy and a ring. That's John Shaner with our Parks and Rec put it all together nice. and that raised was, the money. And that was a fun, that was a, that was a nice uh, recognition of what it was has very nice here over the course of the past 25 years. Got to introduce him, though, because oh. uh, we haven't officially. Go ahead. Do you want to do it, Frank? Uh, 25 years, uh, game manager of the Stag Bowl and uh, formerly director of Civic Facilities, but an all-around good guy still today. And uh, somebody that I love to call a friend in this Very day and much age. So. And an uh, avid lover of trains. Amen yes. to that. Going to Canada January 4th on my birthday. La Very nice. Ladies and gentlemen, Carrie Harvey Cutter. Carrie, <laughs> I have to think the highlight of your career has to be the 2001 semifinal between Rowan and Bridgewater. It really was. <laughs> was on it a, actually? Um, <laughs> you were a. I didn't think no, so, but you the, the Friday, Friday night game. Because of 9-11, we got the Friday night that was assigned to 1AA. And uh, Bridgewater... That was a Saturday night, even. Was it? Yeah. We had Saturday prime Oh, time. wow, that's we right, it was. We I did. Was, I was thinking back to the week before, where you were stuck, maybe, being the... Uh, the yeah, I was the game. I was the rep for the semifinal when the clock stopped. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have not repped a semifinal since that time, but I'm available, JP Williams, if you're listening for next year. Kerry, <laughs> 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 uh, Wayne talked about his experience from the other side in seeing how you guys put things together and brought it to them. Tell us a little bit about the story from your perspective and from the city of Salem perspective and the ODAC perspective and putting it together to take to that. Well, I, I do have to say one thing. I didn't realize it took us 10 years to get it right. <laughs> <laughs> but he did. 2003 was a, a decent game. Yeah, it was. Right? We had, it was. You know, it was. We wanted a football game. We're a football community. Salem High School just won its third straight state championship. So we love football in this town. And uh, we came up with the idea from Dan Woldridge. Dan brought it to us. Dan was the commissioner of the ODAC at that time, had uh, been an official that had worked the game in Phoenix City, Alabama, and thought it would be a great game for us to have. Uh, he first took it to Roanoke City. They didn't get real excited about it, came to us. Uh, he waited a year because that year that he was going to originally pitch it to us, we'd had Ferrum and Emory and Henry play in our stadium, okay. and we had destroyed the field. Oh. Uh, on a, the first Saturday in September, I had res assumed responsibility of the stadium on Friday. Uh, Bud Hale was our stadium manager, and we thought they would fire us on Tuesday, Monday being Labor Day, and they wouldn't come in to fire us. So uh, we, we went through it, got the game, went to, uh, to Marco Island, Florida, I believe, to, to pitch it. 
Uh, we had a great video. We knew we were going against weather. We visited Bradenton, Florida. We saw what the competition was at that time. Uh, I believe they wanted to have Tropicana as their sponsor and call it the Tropicana Stag Bowl. So we thought we had a leg up because we know the NCAA in, in favor of those kind of things. Uh, so we put together a great video that, and I'll, I'll always remember it. We promised or we projected 50 degree for the first <laughs> first second Saturday in December, chance of uh, of rain 10 percent, chance of snow one half of one percent. And the first championship we hosted, we ended the game with a minus 30 wind chill. We had abandoned one of our temporary press boxes because Brad Bankston, who was then the SID for ODAC, uh, had called us on the radio and he said, I honestly think it's going to blow onto the field. Uh, and our in-house PA from the University of North Carolina because they were open press boxes, said, my gosh, has the polar ice cap melted. It was blowing snow sideways with a huge wind. And it was, if you thought it was chilly tonight, it was cold that day. Well, I think it's really only 8% chance of snow. You've had 1993, 2009. I think we did okay. Yeah, but when we do it, we do it big time. That's right. <laughs> you, know? you can't bring up weather in Salem without talking about 2009. And, and I think from our perspective, uh, the way 2009 came together was indicative of Salem's readiness and Salem's commitment to the game. Um, tell us what you remember from that day um, besides the snow. Besides waking up Pat Coleman from a deep sleep. Yeah, <laughs> he hung up on me the first time. Yeah, uh, the, the interesting thing is I was, I was being interviewed by Frank in front of the Civic Center when it started just lightly snowing. And... Uh, and it snowed a lot. Uh, we couldn't have a coaches meeting at the hotel. Uh, we did it by audio because we couldn't get one of the teams there uh, because they were snowed in. Uh, it took me two hours to get from the Salem Civic Center to the Hotel Runnock, which is usually a 15-minute trip. But, but other than the snow, it was the people. Uh, it was a, a gentleman in Salem, uh, uh, Dr. Bert Spetzler, who's, who had had a, a horrible bicycle accident. Uh, was paralyzed from the waist down, but called us and said, I can't come, but you can get my snowblower. Uh, it's the people that were part-time employees that came in in a van to help shovel the, sna uh, shovel the stands. Uh, it's the fact that we had to send City of Salem snowplows to a neighboring jurisdiction to plow a road to get the buses out of the hotel. <laughs> it's those kind of things that all revolved around the snow. Uh, but in the end, as, as Larry Karras said, it was a perfect turf. Uh, and that's the goal. The goal from, from day one, from the time Moose Malmquist, who was the chair of the first D3 football committee we worked with, he said what the best championship these kids have been involved in and to have a real bowl atmosphere. And we've done that. And it's always been about the student athletes. Now, that involves a lot of things. And it's not just the, the banquet on Thursday or the Gallardi. And we've done laser venture, laser tag with the kids. Jimmy Gallardi loved the laser tag. And that year they got in the, in the deal. Uh, they won the national championship. They were Salouse. But it's, it's everything that revolves around it. When we first started in 93, we created the bowl atmosphere. We were sold out. Uh, we had uh, gift bags huge bags that you could put a football small lineman in the bag uh, and it had it had soft drinks and it had toothpaste and toothbrushes and razors and all those things when you travel you might forget and and I remember going to Blue Ridge Beverage uh, the Miller distributor here 
and we spent the afternoon, had more fun stuffing those bags. And it's those kind of memories that, that we've had. And when it, when it snowed, you know, we had, we had Mount Union Whitewater, which we had a lot of, uh, and they're driving in in their front-wheel drive vehicles, and we've got two snowplows stuck in the parking lot. Uh, it's just a different feel. And, I mean, they were tailgating. We were five hours late, uh, but we still got the game on. And, and I think that's the, the biggest thing that stands out is that the game went on uh, as scheduled. Yep. Without a hitch. As rescheduled. Yeah. As rescheduled. That's a better way to put it. And uh, when you, if you have to look back at the 25 years, unless you played in one of the games or um, you were a non-Mountain Union team that just got here one time, when you ask what year do they remember, people remember 2009. It was because of the snow, but, it, but it's also because Salem delivered. Ma- yeah, made the game happen well, in that's 16 what we're inches supposed of to snow. Do. The, the NCAA entrusted us with the championship. It is incumbent upon us to have a great playing surface for the student-athletes because once the game starts, it's not in our control. We're going to control everything other than weather that we can control leading up to kick. Once it kicks, it's theirs. Kerry, uh, we're kind of joking around about the 10 years to get it right uh, quote, but the NCAA is entrusting two cities for only two years at least uh, in the next four uh, each. How long did it really take you to, let's say, get it all right in your opinion, and do you think any other city is going to have the ability to get it right in two years? Two years is tough because the first year you really don't know what you're doing. I mean, let's face it, I, I, I went did a site visit at, uh, at Bradenton, Florida. The, the city of Shenandoah came up and, and visited with us. But you really can't in one year figure it out. There's too many moving parts. Uh, one of the people today said, it looks like you've got an army behind you. Well, I did. I had you know, probably 60 or 70 people today between ushers and police and security and all of the civic center staff and all the stadium staff, uh, stadium staff meeting one full-time employee and a couple part-times. Uh, it takes you three or four years to really know what you're doing. Our first, our first contract was three years. And I figured by the time we were bidding for year four, we had a pretty good grasp, grasp in everything. But, you know, it, it, there's, there's so many moving parts. You know, if you have Mountain Union in Whitewater every single year, you know what's going to happen. You, yep. you know the people, but the, the, the valuable thing to learn is that all of the schools do things differently. Mary Harden Baylor is a great operation, and, and they'll do a wonderful job uh, running the championship from their end. But they're very different from the way Mountain Union does things. They're different from Rowan or Whitewater. One other thing I want to say while well, Pat's got his mouth full of pizza, and so he can't say anything edgewise on this one. We, you know, we've said a lot of things about Salem and our uh, love of you guys. Uh, you said something earlier about Pat in the website, and Adam and I are kind of new kids on the block uh, comparatively. Could you repeat kind of uh, your thoughts on yeah, Pat Coleman and I Keith have, McMillan? I have said this for a number of years. D3Football.com has done more to promote NCAA Division Three football than any group organization, individual, ever. And it's the same thing with D3 Hoops. They, you all have just you have raised the bar, and you've been so helpful to us promoting the word about the championships, about the games. 
about the exposure for Division Three athletes. It's great to have the game tonight on ESPNU, and it's actually replaying behind us right now. Uh, so if you don't know everything, you can turn on ESPNU and, and see it again. Uh, but nothing like what you all have done. The, and, and you all stepped it up every year. You know, now you're doing the, the end zone uh, show, pre-game the show. pregame yep. show. You know, that started a year or two ago. We used to have uh, Pat out in the parking lot in what we used to call the Love Shack. Love Shack, baby. Love Shack, baby. Doing the show. I miss that Love Shack a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, because the wind That's doesn't hit you in the road. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but that was great. I mean, you're, what you all have done for the Gallardi, where, you know, you have four student athletes that come in. We used to just have the winner. Like yep. we do for the Jostens Trophy. You used to just have the winner. And, and we've, we worked with Jostens. Uh, we helped them financially with a couple, couple things. They helped financially, so we bring in the four. We do the interviews. But you all stream it. You stream it live. So the people at Oshkosh can see their student athlete win the Gallardi. And, and same thing Jimmy Gallardi said the other night. You all, we are better because of you all. The, the Gallardi Award is better because of what Salem's done, but they're also very much better because of what D3Football.com's done. Well, it's, it's a synergy uh, type of situation. You make us better. and right. It's it, a rising tide lifting yep. all boats. It we, does. We wouldn't we, be able to do it without you guys having uh, believed in us, frankly. Yeah. We were new. When, when I came down to that uh, Final <laughs> Four in 1998, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I was 20. I don't know, whatever, 25 I just years remember old. the year that Catholic won it. You were so excited. Well, <laughs> as I should be. And I yeah. clearly, I had to revel in it then because yes. it hasn't happened since or come very close. Yes. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Carrie, thank you so much. I know this is not the last time we'll talk. I'll be back here in March, but. Uh, you will be. I feel and like we're signing off for football. In a it is. Way. And, you know, as, as Mike Stevens said at the banquet last night, you know, we're a little sad or a little glad. But overall, we're very, very proud because we took an event that nobody really cared about. I mean, the people in Bradenton, don't, don't get me wrong, they loved the championship. But nobody embraced it. And we took, took this stag bowl game, made it an event that now two, two areas wanted. And there were other people. Detroit bid the championship. So there's been a lot of bids for this. Yep. And, you know, we'll see what happens down the road. Uh, if, if they, they ask us questions from Shenandoah, Texas, we'll, of course, be more than glad to, to, to respond to their questions. Uh, but the one thing we've said all, all along is it didn't carry, it didn't Pat, it didn't Frank or Keith. It's the whole group. And we've had a great team in Salem. We had a great partner in Wayneboro and Kelly, Kelly Shaw. Mm -hmm. And uh, Wayne moved on. We had other people fill in. But there's nobody better that loved this championship at the NCAA more than Wayne Burrow. And we've just had a great relationship. And I've made so many friends. And I tell people I've made friends in a lot of places at, at colleges that people don't know where the places are. Yeah, Friends for life, my friend. Very Thank much so. Let's get a round of applause for Kerry Hardicutter. Now, uh, traditionally over the course of uh, the podcast, over the course of regular season, we've done a really good job of pushing out on Twitter on Sunday night to uh, get people to come ask us questions. We're going to take a blind question. You want to, uh, we're not going to screen this question right now. Uh, we're going to trust I, you. All I know is uh, we have 
Nick, who has a uh, Mount Union Raiders uh, shirt on and a uh, champion's hat. So uh, you got a question <laughs> for us here on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. I do. My name's Nick. Uh, i just like to say that uh, my dad listens to your guys' podcast all the time. He loves it. Um, and I echo what that one guy said. Um, I think D3's done. I give you guys a lot of crap because you seem to not really like Mount very much, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Here we go again. Just, we but, worship but, Mount. You worship Mount, right? What's that? You worship Mount, right? Well, or you are with people who do. Or yeah, you really love you know. Mount, and we just like we worship Division but, Three in general. But, but all kidding aside. Question. But all kidding aside, I do think that D. I, I agree with what he said. D3.com has done a ton to promote in my opinion, what is the purest level of, of, of football. And um, so I just want to applaud you guys for that. Thanks. And I also echo what he said. I, I just want to say as a, as a, as a Division three football fan and somebody who's been the stag ball six times, I, when I heard that the NCAA had decided that all championships except Omaha, yeah. which we know money was involved with that, um, <laughs> because they built that stadium. Um, Expressions, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is an opinion, opinion, not these guys, me. Um, but, you know, when I heard that the NCAA decided that all championships were moving, um, I, I was heartbroken. Um, even last year when Mount didn't make it, I still watched. I was still tempted to come down because Salem does such a good job. It's wow. such a unique experience that I think students – um, I actually work for the university, I, and um, I think students at Division three colleges get such a unique experience that the Division one level does not provide. It just it doesn't. It's it's the cheapest, most affordable, and most rewarding feeling to go to one of these playoff games. Um, even if you're a team visiting Mount, I know we have fans who come, and even though they come and they generally lose, they have a great time coming and they love the experience and. It's heartbreaking that next year I'm gonna have to fly to Texas, which that's fine. I mean, but you will. Is that sounds like you're saying you probably will go? I, I mean, I will. Cause, but I'll tell you right now, it's only because I'm such a diehard fan. I know a lot of people who just said, "Nope, this is it. I'm not. I'll wait till it's in Canton." And are you excited for that though? No, I'm not. Uh, and I'll just tell you why. It, look. It's cool that it's coming to Canton. It's great. The Hall of Fame's awesome. People from, if, if Mary Harden Baylor comes back, which I think there's good potential for this to be an elongated series, um, if Mary Harden Baylor comes to Canton, then all those Texas fans will come up. They'll be able to go to the Pro Football Hall of Fame right. in the morning. No That's doubt. cool. Canton's a great, Canton's a cool town. It really is. Cheap, you can get cheap flights in. It's great. But for me, like, coming to the stag ball, you know, driving down, having the hotel, the, the pregame, this unique stadium, that's part of the experience. It's, it's 20 minutes from our campus. You know, I'm, okay, I'll, I'll, you know, I won't even take off work that day. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I yeah. just, I think that's a joke. And I, I guess my, my question for you guys is, going forward, do you think that the moving of these national championship games from Salem and having them rotate around to, you know, Texas, then Canton, then who knows. Um, I like to put a plug in for Hershey Park Stadium. Hershey's really cool. Just a just okay. a thought. Just a thought. There you go. Um, it's a Division three size stadium, unlike Canton. Does Lebanon Valley want to host a national championship? Um, yeah. yeah. But um, no, I uh, I just my question, you guys, is with going forward with these national championships. Do you think it's good for Division three that it's moving around? And a follow up question that is, how do you think it will affect seeding? Because 
personally, I felt seating was a little weird this year. I mean, you look at – I know the NCAA always talks about, like, flights and money and stuff, and the so two – So you do listen well. That's good. Yeah. The, well, the, yeah. I mean, the two, the two semifinalists, you know, both games, teams had to fly and switch time zones, yeah. which kind of – I mean, and that's fine. I get – like, that's cool. We got a great game with Oshkosh, who, you know, hats off to them. They were – I was – well, actually, I, I thought we were going to win that game even when we were down 35-10, but, you know – um, but like I, they were a great team, but I still felt like, you know, it, it was weird that we weren't playing Brockport who's four hours away from us and Oshkosh wasn't playing Mary Hard Baylor in the same time zone. That's one flight instead of two saves the NCAA money. They're going on about money stuff, but yet you still have two flights and you're moving the champ. I, I don't know. I just, I get a little annoyed with the NCAA, you know, um, this is division three podcast, so I won't even bring in all my complaints about D1. <laughs> um, That's good. Yeah. But but I just I like as I said my question to you guys is how do you think that this will affect both seeding and do you think it's going to be good for good for the purest form of football there is okay Nick I appreciate you coming yep. up and asking the question and all the nice things that you said about us thanks so much I'm gonna I'm gonna take these backwards I'm gonna go with the second one first I think the seeding thing is um, you know basically. Uh, in a year that Mount Union's the top seed, Mount Union would be in the position to host Brockport. I, I think the uh, the thing is is that Mary Harden Baylor is the defending champ, was the top seed and deserved to host the, the the team that was likely to be the number four seed or the bracket that was likely to produce the number four seed. I think that you know if uh, and I've heard this from people before. If when you're building the bracket out, it's really difficult to get all the way to the national semifinal game and keep a flight from happening. Um, so uh, I think that's part of it. About the th about moving around, man, and uh, and I uh, I won't uh, monopolize the answer on this one. I apologize. I'm just rushing through, but uh, I think that the uh, what am I trying to say? Um, I think it would be it, it would be okay for another part of the country to have it and for them to have an opportunity. Two years makes no sense. Um, we've watched this happen with other championships. Uh, women's basketball has, was in a, a situation where it was moving every two years, and it never got a chance to build up a, a local audience. Obviously, football is a sport that doesn't have those same issues. They will be, there will be a local audience for college football in a lot of places. Um, I wouldn't mind if it were then maybe set aside on four-year blocks. Four years here, and you could go maybe go four years somewhere else. Um, Maybe it's an opportunity. Uh, the nice thing about it being in Texas for two years is Texas gets the raw end of the deal, I think would be the polite way to put it, on, on a lot of things in Division Three because they, uh, you know, when you're trying to keep flights down in, uh, in sports, it's hard to put uh, a basketball regional in Texas where you think you're going to have to send three teams, um, you know, uh, a, a volleyball regional, which is eight teams or something like that. Almost always the Texas teams get the short end of the stick, even as better teams, because they have to go on the road. So I liked that we could do that for two years. Um, you could, in a sense, almost you're throwing Texas a bone maybe. Um, I did float that past a member of the committee, and they did not agree with my interpretation on that. But I do think that that's a, something that could be happening. You could take it to the Pacific Northwest for four years maybe if there's someone who's interested. If it truly is something that's going to travel, that's cool. Let's give it a, let's give it a shot. Um, We've done we've we've done Salem for 25 years, and you know maybe someone else can do it better. Maybe someone can't do it better, and we'll find out in 2024 or something. It'll come back here. I don't know. And now I uh, open up other possibilities for people to speak. Also, all right, uh, I'll take these long question, long pat soliloquy. I'll try to answer quickly. Sorry. I think regarding the seating, uh, each committee interprets what seemed to be a pretty set guideline of playoff criteria 
each there there still is wiggle room within that to interpret it differently. So some committees value strength of schedule more. Some committees feel like um, you have to keep the brackets geographically more organized. Uh, and then some others have, have taken some liberties with the pod system and, and keep, kept flights down in the first round, but mix up the second and third round matchups. So you, you see years where uh, the third round game is, is St. John Fisher at Mary Harden-Baylor or St. Thomas, Hobart goes to St. Thomas or something. So you do see some mixing when teams get, uh, when committees get imaginative. So I think the seating, uh, th there's room for interpretation. It just depends on each committee. And, and, and I think as far as moving the, the game around, I think it's fine. To, uh, to, to give other places a shot at hosting it and trying to live up to what Salem has done, especially if other places want it. I think wanting it and wanting to treat D3 like the big time is the big key. You have to have the people to do it, and you have to have the desire to want to have this game and not yeah. just have it just to say you had it. But um, I think they're taking a big gamble. The next couple years uh, in Texas – and uh, Ohio, less of a gamble, but still a gamble. Uh, Texas, if Mary Harden-Baylor makes it or if Harden-Simmons or somebody breaks through, you're going to have a great crowd. If not, if you have like a Linfield, Mount Union, Stag Bowl, how? That could never happen. There's no Linfield, Mount Union. Those, just, those teams aren't any good. I'm, how, <laughs> how are you going to get? You're going to have 3,000 people, I guess, in Texas. I mean, you're going to have to get some local interest. <laughs> you, I, I, I am waiting for the Mount Union yeah. Linfield game, which has never happened, or the previously the Mount Union Pacific Lutheran game. Yeah, Frank. Uh, bracketing wise, uh, very quickly. Honestly, the, the the thing is driving bracketing at the end of the day is not the third and fourth rounds; it's the first and second rounds, really. And so, I don't think it's going to change uh, based on where the championships ultimately held. Uh, I just think that this. That's not their focus. Uh, the only time to kick back brackets is when we've seen too many flights early, not late, ultimately. I think I am a believer in a meritocracy. I think that if it, not all sports should be treated the same insofar as either we're going to shop all these out collectively or we're not, I think that there were some misfits in the championship system. Some cities that didn't belong hosting or weren't doing well with it, and that's when you do shop it around because you acknowledge this isn't working, okay? And it's not working in two years. It's not going to work in four years probably. But there are other opportunities where it does work. And you, I think as long as you're not having somebody risk a home field advantage scenario repeatedly or something along those lines, you keep it there. As long as they're willing to do the job they're going to do and there's not a money issue, you just keep it there. So meritocracy-wise, I think it should be based on not this one-size-fits-all. Let's shop it out. Uh, one quick thing from Adam, and then we're moving on in the rundown. Yeah, you guys know how special Salem and Southwest Virginia is to me. Uh, I have a feeling that the championship is going to stay in Canton. The NFLs invest a lot of money in that stadium. There's a good stronghold of D3 football in Northeast Ohio, and people are going to say it's unfair because Mount Union has home field advantage, but I'm prepared for that for the next foreseeable future. 16 miles, by the way, not 20 miles uh, away from Mount Union, according to ESPN, at least. All right. We have a, two more things uh, we have to do here in the course of this podcast. Uh, thanks again for the question. Appreciate it. Um, we have to uh, determine slash announce offensive defensive player of the year, coach of the year. Um, I see uh, I see Adam compiling uh, your interview notes. Quick, oh, are you going back to the kickoff. I wasn't sure if you we could did do 20 questions. Quick hits, quick misses from the 
Yeah, you're gonna. Now these are the season's quick hits and quick misses. I was horrible yes. this year, wasn't Those I? Those were not so quick. Nah, Notice Frank, like you did good. I love weeks, this. Sixteen weeks worth of uh, results to it. Live year in review. Live year in review. By the way, That's I'm surprised we didn't clear this place out talking about bracket seating. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks everybody. I for mean, the taps are still flowing, attention. so. That's yeah. true. You got to. You got to be a little. You got to be a little drunk to get this deep into the. Uh, <laughs> Wally Wabash is still here. Come on now. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> and, and, well, it's all about the bracketology. In fact, I had a glass once that had these things in it. The something hoppy and cold. Uh, I don't know what happened to my glass. <laughs> not give you the picture is going to be a little bit excessive for me. Uh, but I appreciate yeah, that. Nothing podcast listeners want to hear more than you what you're glass. drinking, Pat. Let's I, this is not that kind of podcast, I know. Uh, uh, Rundown, there you go. Offensive <laughs> player of the year. Uh, traditionally, when we've done this, we've talked about who are the... Uh, uh, we start with our first team All-Americans. Uh, I happen to have right here a handy sheet of uh, paper, just as a reminder in case I forgot. Um, and then we talk about uh, basically quarterbacks, running backs, and wide receivers. We have once upon a time named a, uh, a tackle, a uh, regional player of the year. Um, I'm not sure we've named a tight end a regional player of the year, but basically we were talking about choosing from among nobody who played tonight, um, and that's good considering the, 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 the 10 points. Wasn't much offense offenses tonight. tonight. Uh, Brett Casper, Oshkosh quarterback. Uh, the running backs, Roger Walker of Marietta, Austin Vernig of North Central, Jesse Zubik, the wide receiver from WNL, and Nick Holcomb, wide receiver WJ. from yeah, WJ. The day of WNL wide receiver makes the first team move. <laughs> Things will have definitely changed over there. Yep, it's uh, been a Nick long Holcomb time. From UW lacrosse, and we kind of we kind of pre uh, hashed out this conversation. So especially since we're running long, we could uh, make this an easy. Discussion. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's make it brief. Um, I think when you when we filed the Gallardi Trophy vote. Looking at 10 of the best guys in uh, Division Three, Jesse Zubik was on that list. Uh, Brunig was on it as well. Um, Brett Casper was where we landed. And part of that was well-rounded human being, a guy who represents D3 well, and also was an incredible player. Brought um, Oshkosh back. Oshkosh had been a semifinalist in 2012 with a great quarterback in Nate Wera. And then they needed to... to, to be able to sustain that, and Brett Casper is a big reason why they've been able to. Certainly, they've added a lot of playmakers on offense, great defense last season, but when, you, when you're looking at these players, you want to look at what they did against their toughest competition. Brett Casper certainly played well throughout the WIAC season, but you look at that Mountain Union game, and uh, he had a couple turnovers in the second half when things came apart. Missed a couple throws, but they put up 40 points. In theory, enough to win, and if you're asking, if you're looking at a defense that pitched a shutout tonight, and a guy who led an offense to the majority of the 40 points, there was a two-point defensive conversion and a, the and night a, before. And a pick six and a, a kickoff return, but yes. Ask, um, ask the players. Did, did they respect Brett Casper? Everybody talked about it this week when we played against him. That guy's legit. And both teams, too, because Mary Hart and Baylor had to deal with him last year yeah. at this stage. Um, I think that, that, that tells you. Um, some of these other guys, it just, it's just a much, it's a very much tougher comparison. Brunig uh, injured, didn't, didn't play really in the playoffs, and um, didn't, didn't put up huge, huge numbers during the season anyway because uh, North Central's so diverse offensively. Jesse Zubik, huge numbers. They went out in the first round, W&J. Nick Holcomb, sorry, second round, you're right, they, they beat Hopkins in the first round. Nick Holcomb. Had a tremendous finish to the season. A guy from uh, Wisconsin lacrosse. Um, it's probably the only other 
offensive person you could really get on board with, Roger Walker, two-time All-American running back from uh, Marietta. But I think it's pretty much Brett Casper, kind of a no-brainer. There yeah. is a General tackle on the first team, Brock Riggs, who is a national award-winning player. I, I almost but brought that up. he can stick with the Pisman. Yeah, and, and the cool, cool thing about him is I, I thought – he was. It was just a. He made that unique play, and he won it kind of on a fluke as a Piesman. To learn that he was actually a really great All-American level player too. in the OAC. Yeah, yeah and yeah. the coaches there respect him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So by general acclamation, we go with Brett Casper. Yeah. Brett Casper. Yep. The, uh, D3Football.com Offensive Player of the Year for 2017. Also, our halftime show co-host. Yeah. By the way, what a gentleman and great guy he yeah, just he, is. He did a great job. He gave great analysis, stuff that we couldn't see from a quarterback's perspective. Really did a great job tonight helping us out. Pre-game show, too. Same thing. Uh, defensive player of the year. Again, uh, we pick from players who are on the first team. And as a, uh, I say, a quick refresher, I'm going to go through, uh, first of all, the kind of the top vote-getter guys. Um, uh, Mamadou Sumohoro was the best uh, guy listed at defensive end. Hayson Adams and Mike Vidal were pretty even. Uh, Jason Farlow was our, uh, our, our top pick at linebacker. Uh, Michael Joseph, who's going to the Senior Bowl, was the guy at uh, uh, cornerback. I think uh, Jake O'Connell and Sean Miller at uh, safeties were better, would be better candidates there as well. But, uh, you know, there's a, guy that, there's a guy in here that we've talked about for a long time. There's guys here who played tonight, and this is a much more wide-open conversation, uh, I would say, Keith. As, uh, yeah, Keith's eating pizza. Uh, you know, and I feel like a lot of these guys kind of cancel out some votes. You know, you got Vidal and Barry on the Mount Union defensive front, and then you look at the whole Mount Union defense as a whole, as we saw tonight, and, you know, the linebackers, you know, uh, attributed a lot of their success to the defensive line, but how do you choose just one when that is a true, you know, we saw the depth of that unit tonight. They go 14, 15 deep. Um, same with Mary Hart and Baylor. You know, Hayson Adams is a beast, but, you know, Brazos Fuller had a great game tonight, probably even better uh, than Hayson did. Um, you know, look at the secondary. I think O'Connell and Miller are, you know, neck and neck, and those teams face each other this year in the quarterfinals and, and didn't really separate either way. Um, you know, Michael Joseph is a great player. Uh, did he elevate his team to a different level? You know, sort of look at that. You know, I look at, at a guy like Jordan Hassan who took – Illinois Wesleyan's defense to another level. You know, Mamadou Samoharo took Barry's defense to another level. You know, it, it's hard to be a game-changing player as a defensive player. You know, you don't have the ball in your hand. A lot of times you're getting double, triple teamed. And for Samoharo to have the year he had when he was already known and already every team that played Barry this year game-planned around him, and they still won so many games and made the playoffs and won a game in the playoffs, finished with, what, 11 wins this year? You know, the and he was being game planned for the focal point of every offense that, that we talked to throughout the season was game planning for him, and he was still able to lead his team to unprecedented heights. I think that's what you have to look at for a defensive player. So I, for me, that, that leads me to look at Jordan Hassan from Illinois Wesleyan, leads me to look at Mamadou Samohora from Barry. Yeah, I think you hit on a lot of the key points, Adam. Um, we kind of left it open because if Hayson Adams, if Vidal or Barry had dominated tonight, single-handedly, you know, you may want to put them in the discussion. And I thought all those guys played well, um, as did Brazos Fuller and, and a bunch of other um, A.J. Finane, who certainly was near a lot of plays, did, sometimes didn't yes. wrap up. But no, yeah. a lot of our All-American level uh, defensive linemen played well tonight, but I don't think any of them stood out enough to, to rest the, um, 
the the title away from from uh, Mamadou Soumahoro. And I, and again, going back to the same uh, judgment that we use for um, for Brett Casper, and you know, how did he play uh, against the best teams on the schedule? Barry's biggest game was the the St. Thomas game, and they didn't uh, they didn't shut him down by any means. And that was a, a offensive line that gave everyone fits, you know, and, and that's a team that beat St. Thomas that gave Mary Harden Baylor a game. Um, Sumahoro had big games throughout the season, tackles for losses, sacks, uh, interceptions, a guy who's all, really all over the place. But uh, you look at that St. Thomas game, and uh, he had uh, a tackle for loss, six tackles, uh, and, and was in on, um, you know, enough big plays that I think you judge by that. You judge the, the first-round playoff game against Huntingdon as well. I mean, uh, you know me. I always do the but-for uh, scenario, which is but-for this player. Uh, you know, it would not have been uh, the season it was. And what, Barry is a fifth-year program. Is that correct right now? I always get confused fourth or fifth, but yep. still fifth. And Mamadou Sumahoro is virtually synonymous with that program. The name is out there. That's true. It yeah. is really, I mean, he graduates off, right, uh, finally here? Uh, but, uh, as far as I know. Yeah, and his numbers back the analysis at the end of the day here. I, I think it's got to be him. I really do. I think we're in agreement. Are we in agreement? We are. Uh, and so, therefore, the uh, 2017 D3Football.com Defensive Player of the Year is Mamadou Sumohoro, the defensive end from Barry. Coach of the Year. <laughs> I think it's a short discussion, too, probably. Well, yeah, you, you start start with the four all-region coaches if if you must, but um, and sometimes sometimes in, in the course of this we pick an all-region coach who is uh, is not someone who's still left alive who took a team from like two and eight to nine and one or something like that or from five and five to twelve wins or something like that. I don't think we had any of that this year though. One of the guys we're going to talk about, uh, I'm sure, is Vince Karras. Uh, Pete Fredenberg was not on the list of regional coaches of the year, but has to be in this, the discussion at some point, too. But those are the kind of guys we're talking about. So can I nominate uh, Jason Mangoni from Brockport? Ooh. You can uh, nominate uh, Jason Mangoni from Brockport. Sounds like Adam was in agreement. Uh, he, he's up there, one of the candidates. I mean, taking the team that, you know, a lot of us didn't see advancing to the Final Four and taking, again, like I mentioned, the defensive players, taking a program to unprecedented heights. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Brockport was a legitimate semifinalist. I would have liked to see them have a tougher road and, and beat somebody. Um, Outside of their area? Yeah, yeah I mean, they beat Wesley. Wesley's a they good win. They beat Del Val. Yeah. Del Val's a good win. Um, but, you yeah, know. I wasn't sure where you were going, sorry. Well, yeah, no, you just don't know if, if Linfield or Hardin-Simmons or St. John's or St. Thomas, these other top ten teams that, are, that got kind of – Tough, tough matchups. You got stuck having to play Oshkosh in the second round or Mary Harden Baylor in the second round. How would they have done uh, against Brockport? But I, I think we it all it became pretty evident quickly on in this season whether you got on board in week three or week six when a team is running through the Empire Eight, mm -hmm. which is as strong a conference as uh, the the East has, and you know year to year top six conference at D three, top eight at the worst, sometimes high as three. When the team is running through that conference and, and winning every game handily, uh, the way they beat Hobart in week one, the, the way they dominated, really the only teams that even put points on them was, was Cortland. Alfred. And Alfred. Um, 
you realize that's a program that's been building. They, they've been cresting. They've been ready to uh, to, to break free, and, and they did it. But let me let me cast a, a vote here for for Vince Karras because what transpired in the last five weeks, having it to to navigate some interesting yeah, waters. And, and, <laughs> you, know, waters yeah. you play your third round playoff game without your your starting quarterback, guys. 49 touchdowns, I guess it was 50th touchdown tonight against three interceptions, and he, he threw uh, an interception tonight. But, you know, you got, you, the team played better. Yeah. That may have been their, their, their best game to date. And then they, they're, they're, they're dead. People are writing them off on Twitter, down 35-10, and saying uh, it's going to be an Oshkosh, Marriott, and Baylor rematch in the Stag Bowl. The team's done. And the guy never breaks character. True. Uh, on the sideline, yep. the team never panics. The quarterback, who just threw a pick six, never panics. Um, and they, in in a matter of eight minutes, score three touchdowns, get right back in that game, um, and, and win that game. And then tonight, a team had given up 77 points defensively in the past two games has a shutout in the Stag Bowl. I, I think a lot of that reflects on the coaching. And one thing that's been underreported this year is you got to remember Vince went back to coordinating the defense this year. You know, they lose Jeff Dart. Jeff Dart goes to D1. He was the offensive coordinator. They move Chris Kappas from defensive coordinator to offensive coordinator. Vince takes over the defense, which he had coordinated for eight years before he took over as head coach. And the way the defense played tonight, I think, is emblematic of the way he took leadership of this team, knew exactly what buttons to push, push the right buttons at the right time, you know, handling those coaching changes, you know, bringing some former players back in the fold, guys like Kyle Miller, John Gunnell, bringing guys back in that, that know what Mount Union's all about um, and, and to help him with both sides of the ball. Uh, I think he did a great job, and, and you know, you, you can't beat 15-0 national champion. Uh, you know, as much as we respect all the coaches who bring their teams to another level, uh, I think at the end of the day, you know, no one can argue with Vince Karras as coach of the year. Uh, two other guys that, you know, Pat Cerrone and Pete Fredenberg, the jobs they did this year after all the losses both those teams had, you know, Oshkosh losing almost their entire defense and still getting to a point where, you know, they were seconds away from another trip to the Stag Bowl. Fredenberg, you know, losing Blake Jackson, uh, losing Tedrick Smith, you know, two great players on each side of the ball and still getting Mary Harden Baylor back here. You know, clearly that shows that the program's at a different level than it was at before, I think. I think we knew they had a great team last year. You know, they had a great team in the past, 2004. But I think he showed that the, the program is here to stay. We've talked to a lot of coaches about, you know, not just getting a great team, but building a great program. I think those two guys, the jobs they did this year showed that, you know, they can bring their programs Stag Bowl contenders every year, year in and year out. Uh, I think there's an argument for both of them, and I have no problem with Mangoni either, it, taking Brockport to, to new levels. Um, and just to mention the other regional coach of the year, Tony Koncheski at Barry, you know, to build a program in five years that can then win 11 games is you know, very, very impressive, no matter where you're at. And I, I think they're going to be a problem. Frank, they're recruiting Georgia. Frank gets 30 seconds. Brockport in 2015, 5-5 five and five. in 2016, 7-4 and four. in 2017, 13-1. And, and it, that's kind of the build-up scenario that you were talking about. It wasn't an overnight sensation turnaround, but that's kind of what I'm looking at when I'm looking at Coach of the Year type scenarios here. When I'm looking at time, I'm looking at I literally have to leave for the airport yep. in less than an hour. We get it. So just so you know. Um, but are we I – like, I feel like I felt some consensus around Vince Karras. 
because I would I didn't say anything by the way, but I would be in the Vince Karras camp. I, I think and based it, on the coaching changes that they had yeah, from last year to this a, year. You made a really compelling argument, actually. Things I hadn't thought about. I wasn't arguing. I was just stating facts. Well, it, it, counselor. That's what and I do. If, if you have to, if you have to, if you narrowed it down to four guys, uh, Karras beat Cerrone and Fredenberg head-to-head. Um, so now you're, now you're down to Mangoni and Karras. And, you know, by... Uh, process of uh, what's that called? Oh wow, uh, a, a commutative property of addition or whatever. Oh yeah, go yeah, do yeah, your yeah. Math thing. There's an interception by uh, uh, yeah. Jefferson Fritz, Jefferson one Fritz of his right two. Yeah. He's a freshman. That's in a previous stream. Let's <laughs> stay focused. So the, the uh, 2017 D3Football.com Coach of the Year is Vince Karras, and he does that for the second time, by the way. So congratulations there. And I am updating the website, and now we have. Um, I'm just going to skip quick hits. Are we good with that? Good. Oh, or, or just do we, or Just let, let her run through these quickly. Oh, I don't, you want quick hits for the stag ball? Uh, did anybody? So no, I, can, I can pull oh, those no, up no, real quick. No, I thought you were doing season no, quick hits. Oh, I got, I got the whole season year in that's review. For his, that's yeah. for his column, the, right? the, guys that, the guys that were we on talk about play by play, color, and the field were wrong uh, in their quick hits. The other five people were right in their quick hits. <laughs> that's Let's a move good on. point. Anyone <laughs> had a mic at the stag bowl besides <laughs> halftime. Me, uh, we didn't get Brick Casper's pick. I wish we had. Uh, we should have, actually. Yeah, no, no one had 12 nothing. No one had 12 nothing. That's a gap. We need to fix that. <laughs> Next time, someone has to pick 12 nothing. <laughs> sure. should pick 12 nothing anyway. Make it's hindsight, though. Let's let them do, do this. Do we look at some year interview stuff? This might be the extended track. I think so. He, he did ask me about it once, which which uh, beats of his that we've used, but I don't know for a fact if he's ever listened. That, yeah, go ahead, Adam. Well, one thing for our year interview, I think it's fair to say at this point, who's going to win the national championship? These were picked back in July. Yeah. Mountain like Union. Five of six or something, right? Mountain Union was predicted by Josh Smith, our Around the West columnist. Nice work, Josh. He actually did pretty well looking at these. Pat Coleman. The guru. Heard should, of him. He should get that right every year. He needs the D3 ball I, I thought I determined the bracket, so I should be able to set and, up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as Twitter would lead you to believe. Um, and then some other guy who writes the Around the Nation column. I also predicted Mount Union. I, I felt like Salem, Mount Union, it was just destiny. It was going to happen. It, but it wasn't easy for them. I mean, I, I th- they really had to earn it. And, and there was uh, there were some points this season where um, – where you know it, it looked like it wasn't going to happen, so I, I think to suggest that it was predetermined, it turned out that way. It was beautiful, um, but it. Uh, and but I got that sense from Vince in the post game that this one was a little bit sweeter. This was one where they weren't the favorite. They weren't ranked number one at any point this year, which is very rare for Mount Union. Uh, I, I feel like this was a little bit sweeter in some ways because they had to prove some things that you know in the last 25 years Mount Union hasn't had to prove. And you also got to remember. A lot of key guys from this team, sophomores, that weren't major parts of the 2015 team. So it's new to them. Uh, they, they, you come to a place where you expected to win championships, but you've never done it before for, for a lot of the key players. Uh, 
And it was fun here. It was fun in the in the post game. We had a senior, a junior, and a sophomore, and they all had very different perspectives on what it means to be a Mount Union football player. And to hear them share that was very interesting. But they all came back to the commonality that they're expected to win championships. I do want to use every thought to think about uh, some other things throughout the course of the 2017 season. So let me throw out first idea. Uh, Favorite memories from the 2017 season, especially one. JJ Nekloff walking in right now. And that's, that's well slapping timed. me. <laughs> um, I'm going to start uh, just by uh, having the opportunity to be at uh, Target Field back in September for that uh, game between St. Thomas and St. John's. 20 to 17 in 2017 in front of 37,000 fans. That was just a cool uh, opportunity to see Division Three in a completely different atmosphere and uh, have a good game on top of it. I really enjoyed that. I'll take one if you want. Go ahead, Frank. Please. Uh, same kind of idea uh, for me personally, being an East Region guy and all that stuff, uh, getting to travel down with Brockport down to Belton for my first time at Mary Harden Baylor's new stadium. And honestly, was treated like a king there by Mary Harden Baylor folks. It was just a, a weekend to remember for me that after 11 years this deeply entrenched in Division Three was so special and will always be remembered. Thanks to Kelly Box, uh, Director of Devel Development at uh, Mary Harden Baylor for giving me that tour and making it so special. And for Brockport for making their season special so I could follow along. Who wants to go next? Like yeah, I mentioned this in uh, my pregame, and I'm gonna—I have to write about it, so I'm gonna give everything away. But you know, in my year in review, it's gonna be about what a bittersweet year you know 2017 was for Division Three football. You know, we had a lot of a lot of things that uh, a lot of sad memories and a lot of happy memories and a lot of things that were a little bit of both. You know, Occidental losing its season, um, everything that went on at Albright. Uh, of course, Mike Donnelly in Muhlenberg, um, you know, that, that, that hits pretty hard. And then, you know, the last year in Salem, um, you know, that kind of an end of an era. So I think this was a very bittersweet year just beyond the playing field. And that's something you guys can read about more later this week, next week. What day is it? Uh, it will be Saturday when this drops, hopefully. I'll probably be. Oh, I Saturday right to, now. I forgot to. I forgot to loop that. I'm looping it manually. Yeah, that's that's well done. Keith, uh, go ahead. Yeah, Adams were much better than mine. I'm I'm a little bit of a simpleton. I, I was just thinking of um, the Wartburg-Franklin finish in the first round of the playoffs, a game, a game that came down to a, a two-point conversion, uh, a couple of the playoff games that came down to, to late kicks. Um, Brockport beating DelVal after giving up a 21-point lead. Uh, the comeback, the Mount Union comeback at Oshkosh, um, the, the kick that went the... W and J, yeah. yes, bounced over the upright for the game-winning points. I mean, stuff like that is just um, you know memories that that players and coaches and, and fans involved in those games will have for their entire lives. And if I were more sharp at this point in the day, I would probably think of a bunch of regular season games that ended that way. Hey, here's here's a, a great regular season memory. The the Wabash guys seem to have, have gotten up and left. Oh, there uh, yeah, right there. Uh, Ryan might have gone home, but, but Ryan uh, lives in the area. So a bunch of the rivalries came back this year. True, uh, that that hadn't been good. Uh, Wabash and DePaul was a good game again. Bronze trick? Oh no, not that one. Yeah, I don't know why you have Dutchman's shoes. Dutchman Th that, shoes. That was really the main one that was a good rivalry again because Union is back. Yeah. Uh, and then I don't know if anybody's keeping track here, but since we're in ODAC country, that's a six out of seven <laughs> for Randolph Macon over Hampton Sydney. <laughs> If you're this deep in the podcast. And congratulations to your ODAC champions, the Washington Elite Football Generals. 
with their first team All-American wide receiver. No, right, sorry. Honorable mention. The, old, the only freshman to make any of the four All-American teams, Josh Brees. And I would have Problem to for three years. Maybe ever, in all honesty. I, I'm not sure if I have that. Don't Get forget, it, Breezy. Don't forget Chris Osher. Second no, team. I know, but the only freshman. Yeah, no true. So three more years of that. Secretary's Cup on ESPN three. Oh, Thank that you, was good. a that was yep. good call, Frank. Good, good call. Yeah. Um, all those Springfield guys coming down to the uh, Gillette that, Trophy. Oh, the that's really cool. That it's, it took cool. eight years for that to happen. It's amazing to me that we, we the last one here. It was the first one we got that to happen. Road trip. Yep. Guys like Brick Casper sticking around from Wednesday through Friday and yeah. contributing to our coverage. You know, that, it's always cool to see the deep. Uh, we had uh, Delane Fitzgerald from Frostburg was the game tonight. Jim Catanzaro from Lake Forest was the game tonight. Just uh, the D3 football Marty community. Marty Favret was here. Frank Mariello, my former Washington League coach who's now retired, was here. By the way, uh, Delane Fitzgerald uh, said of my tweet of the ring that uh, Harvey, uh, Kerry Harvey Cutter had on, Kerry Harvey Cutter is a great one, professional, good man. That's that's as the Lane Fitzgerald as it gets, and a great compliment at the same time. All right, uh, that was uh, every every thought. We're uh, out of out of thoughts, and I, I don't want to belabor too much of the rest. I what else do we want to cover because we are at an hour and a half. Uh, yeah, let's wrap it up. We're gonna go to the credits. Um, I want to. There's th pizza to be eaten. Is there still? <laughs> yes, it's cold, but hey, it was awesome. Good. I want to thank uh, before we. Uh, before we wrap up, we are Keith and Keith and Tyler. Keith and Tyler here at Mac and Bob's. Thank you, and thank to everybody here. Appreciate that. Thanks for hosting us. It's been a lot of fun. We appreciate uh, having a home here in Salem. It's been a, a fun time coming here to Mac and Bob's many, many times after Stag Bowl games. Yeah, what's fun is we used to just come here and just right? hang out, and we're like, why don't we just do a podcast here? And they've embraced it, and that's been so cool to have fans of the winning teams being around and, and yeah. hanging out. It's so much better than Applebee's. And this was the Revelation <laughs> Podcast number 190 for December 15th of 2017. Thanks for listening. And uh, keep an eye on the rest of our Division Three coverage because, you know, even though the season is over, uh, our coverage of the season isn't over, let alone our coverage of the offseason. There's a lot more coming. So if you like our podcast, please consider rating it in Apple Podcasts. Please consider, uh, you know, uh, sending us a pizza to go here or uh, do whatever it takes wherever you get your podcast. That'll help other football fans find it. We are not going away. We will continue to do podcasts throughout the offseason. We'll be uh, back on our monthly schedule. We did 26 podcasts, Keith, in, uh, in 2016. 20, you did 24 podcasts. We did 26 podcasts in 2017. That's right. You had Tur on for the special um, St. Thomas it was a Tommy, Tommy Johnny. Johnny. Yeah, we got got to put it in the correct it, order. Right. Yep. And uh, Frank did one this week, and I think those are great to have. And I actually love it when we mix in some different voices, whether it's through interviews or through uh, special co-hosts. I'm not so territorial over the podcast that that uh, I don't enjoy listening. I do enjoy listening sometimes when someone else is uh, is the one on. You know, if, if there's ever a, a night where you crash or fall asleep and don't show up, I'm, I'm going to call Ryan Carlson, the Linfield guy. He's got uh, he's two hours behind me. I think he'll still be awake. Well, I hope you mean crash as in fall asleep and not. Yes, yes, that kind of crash. Please don't crash on the on the way home from work. Um, the executive producer. Of the I got dark. Yeah. The executive producer of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance on a regular basis provided by Dave McHugh. On-site production here at Mac and Bob's by Doug Ripley, Frank Rossi, Jared Ronsky. Jared Ronsky, thank you so much. These things that I didn't have to do, that was great. Our theme music and the other things you heard uh, by DJ Mentos, you can find him at, at DJMentos.com. Thanks to uh, Wayne Burrow. Thanks to Kerry Harvey Cutter. Thanks to 
Nick from Mount Union, uh, our guests uh, on this uh, edition of our show. And thanks, Keith, man, as the uh, creator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com. And you may have even been the person, I suspect, who said, hey, we should do a podcast. Look what you did, 190 podcasts. It sounds like a thing I, I, would, I may be responsible for. I yeah. think I'm responsible for kickoff. That's the one I remember. You guys were so far ahead of the game on podcasts. You, I've been listening to your guys' podcasts for over, what, a decade now. Yeah. Now everybody's got a podcast. You're trying to say everybody has five podcasts. I think. Yeah, you guys are way ahead of the game. Oh yeah, I got I muted Frank. Yes. Number two hundred is technically going to be right at the beginning of the season. You got to plan what you're going to do for that. This guy's special. Sponsored right. by Applebee's. You're, you already <laughs> eating good in the neighborhood. I don't belong there. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll probably wear a tux for the for the audio podcast. Yeah, that's great. Because uh, we still just do audio podcasts on this show. Uh, you could reach us to talk. Oh, I muted myself. You could reach us to talk. It's, <laughs> I produce myself. Now. Time to wrap it up. <laughs> you can reach up. us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. Don't use the other ones. I'm at D3Football. Keith is at D3Keith. Uh, this guy is at, at Adam Turr. That guy is at Frank Rossi. Um, and uh, there was Frank on the sidelines, apparently, in the, the uh, show. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Come join us at D3Boards.com. You can follow us on Facebook. You know, content will come during the offseason. We have, uh, first of all, I think there's at least one story from tonight that has yet to be posted uh, and one that has yet to be written. And uh, then a, a, a national uh, season wrap-up column. And, you know, uh, like I said, coaches will uh, continue to change hands. We'll uh, keep you updated and all that. Uh, we'll follow the guys as they're uh, headed towards NFL draft or free agent status. Um, we'll follow Michael Joseph and um, oh, Matt man. Godot. I'm sorry? Matt Gano. No, not even that. Um, I'm talking about oh. the uh, the Mount Union long snapper, who uh, Andy Riemann, who was uh, invited to the Senior Bowl. Ah, that that was a thing. I heard that was a thing. Anyway, I'm not sure how trustworthy that source was, but I heard that was a thing. We'll follow all those things, and you know, we'll have a final top 25. I saw I saw some uh, I saw some ballots in my inbox um, and that sort of thing. So uh, get your votes in, people who are listening people who download this podcast on Saturday morning that would be great and then vote hypothetically if you had voted earlier in the week asking for a friend here yeah. you had just filed it with Mary Harden Baylor as one and Mount Union as two yeah we'll flop them would you switch that or does that friend of mine have to go and refile his vote no I think I'm basically just going to go Mount Union 600 points and uh, Mary Harden Baylor 575 okay I I'll let him know <laughs> okay yeah, let your buddy know. I appreciate that. That was the 2017 D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast season. 190 and done. Thank you so much. And thank you, everybody here. Appreciate it.